so does Mark. them 
John left that and returned to Jerusalem. That's all we're told. John left that. We're not given a reason for why he left and returned to Jerusalem so that we can only guess. Uh, perhaps he was homesick. Uh, maybe missionary work turned out to be more difficult than he anticipated, possibly because of the demonic opposition that they faced. He thought it was just too much for him. We're not told exactly, but for whatever reason, he left the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. Again, we're not told a specific reason. Uh, we do know, however, that from Paul's perspective, Mark left. He wasn't there. The reason why we know that is because following the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas and others uh, go back down to, to Antioch and then picking up the story of verse 36 to be. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. He said, let's, let's bring Mark with us. But Paul thought it best not to take with them, quote, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul thought it best not to bring him. We can't rely upon him. He can't be trusted. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So Paul and Barnabas end up going separate ways. Now if I can read between the lines just a little bit, maybe the conversation went something like this. Paul, Paul says to Barnabas, no, I don't think it's a good idea that we bring Mark. We, we can't rely upon him. We can't trust him. The last time we, we brought him with us, we thought, he would be of help to us, but he wasn't. And he abandoned us. He's, he's defective. And maybe Barnabas said something like, I know, but he's generally sorry for what he did. I, I think we should give him a second chance. I see God working in his life. I see potential in this young man. But they, they couldn't see him there. They went their, their separate ways. And verse 39 says, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, and having been commended by the brothers, returned to the Lord. That is really all we need to know today about Mark. Whether somebody died, or needed you, or was relying upon you, or and you did come through, you, you failed, and, and we know you failed. about how I raised my daughter. 
strength to paralyze us so that we would just give up and curl up in a ball and, and not, not move forward. Our humiliation does not have to lead to prayer. God does not want us to pray. So that's Mark's humiliation. But let's move on from Mark's restoration. Acts 15, 39, as I said, we saw Barnabas took Mark with him. different about Barnabas? Well, first of all, uh, we're told in Colossians 4.10 that John Mark was Barnabas's cousin. So there's that, there's, there's a relative, and so that, that can play into the picture, I think. But I think there's actually a better answer, and that has to do with the character of Barnabas himself. And actually, Barnabas's real name is, anybody know? You don't know. His real name is Joseph. You're
Christian Mark, he couldn't persevere. He couldn't make it through the entire missionary journey without going back home, probably homesick, going back to mommy, and then someone else might respond. You know what? I noticed that too. He's a guy that just doesn't have stick to itness. And I'm like, I noticed that too. Aren't you and I those too with our our observation of what's plain for everybody? But an encourager can see what others can't see. The encourager can say, yes, he didn't make it through that first missionary journey, but I bet, I bet if somebody gave him a second chance, he would step forward. He would get his joy to his feet. He could love you for what you were. Folks, I hope you have people like that in your life. I had a man like that in my life. a man named Larry Clark and his his ministry was encouraging people like me and I mean that, that was his ministry he worked full time for IBM he retired and I remember him telling me that he was on staff at Willow Creek full time as a volunteer he invited me one time to go to uh, Moody's Founders Week conference and I saw Johnny Erickson Tata speak and I remember asking him on one occasion, why did you invite me? And I'll never forget what he said. I look for guys like you in whom I see God working. And I try to encourage them. And to this day, I still find it moving. Somebody saw something in, in me and gave me encouragement. And I hope you've had people like that in, in your life. They, they see something in you that other people don't see it, and they, and they call it out, and, and God uses that. Thank God for encouragers, for people who see potential in other people. In Luke 22, uh, you may recall at the Last Supper, uh, Jesus had told Peter uh, that Satan asked to sift him as weak. I'll read it. This is what we see in Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So Jesus says, you're going to deny me. But he says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then I like this little bit of encouragement that we often don't focus on. He says, but when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. He's saying, you're going to turn back. And I wonder if when Peter denied Christ, later he remembered that. Wait, the Lord said that I would come back. The Lord said that he was praying for me so that my faith would not fail. So this failure, this humiliation on my part of denying my Lord is not final. There will be restoration. And we have a little bit of hint of encouragement in, in Jesus' words when we pay careful attention. But it's wonderful that Mark was 
restored because of the son of encouragement who gave him a second chance and, and brought him along. So we have Mark's humiliation, Mark's restoration, and that brings us to Mark's exaltation. What did we see in 1 Peter 5, 13? She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. So this means that at this point, as Peter is writing, Mark is with him. And what is Mark doing as he's with Peter? He's, he's his assistant. He is helping him in the work of ministry. So evidently, John Mark just needed a little bit of encouragement. He just needed somebody to believe in him. Barnabas did. And now, years later, we see that he is helping the apostle Peter in the work of ministry. Assisting him. And we, we should ask this question. I wonder what kind of an assistant he was. This is my guess. But I think it's a good guess. I think he was an assistant that went above and beyond the call of duty. I think this was an assistant who would bend over backwards. I think this was an assistant who said, Peter, what do you need? Ask for whatever you need. I'll get it for you. What do you need done? I will do it. If I have the capability of doing it, I will do it. What do you need? I think that was his attitude. I think that was his, his heart. And because of that, Mark meant a lot to Peter. Notice how he refers to him here. What did he say? Mark, my son. <laughs> he calls him his son. He's not his bio biological son. He's his, his son in ministry. Isn't that beautiful? This is a tender term of endearment, presumably because of how much Mark meant to him in the work of ministry. Now, some of you might be wondering, were, were Mark and Paul ever reconciled? I'm so glad that I can say to you this morning, they were beautifully reconciled. And we know that because of a couple of passages. In Colossians 4.10, we read, this is Paul writing to the Colossians. Aristocus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So this means that at the writing of this letter, Mark is with Paul, and he is assisting Paul. And he says concerning Mark, he writes, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. What's Paul doing? He's putting in a special word for Mark. And he is saying, if Mark comes to you, I put word in for him. If he comes to you, please welcome him. Why, why would Paul add that note? Because now at this point, he loves Mark. And he wants to make sure that he is welcomed by the Colossians. And then we have one other reference in, in 2 Timothy. This, this is Paul's last epistle. This is right at the end of his life before he's going to be executed. And we read in 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. I love that. Just get Mark and bring him with you. For he is 
very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that great? End of his life. Timothy, get Mark. I don't know where he is. I'm in prison. Get Mark. Bring him to me. He is so useful to me in ministry. Wonderful story of reconciliation. And it must have been a privilege for Mark to have this second chance and serve the Apostle Paul. And and this time he didn't let him down. And now you know the rest of the story. Actually, it's not the rest of the story. Sorry, I psyched you out. There's There's actually more to it. Uh, According to the Coptic tradition, John Mark is the founder of the Coptic church in Egypt. Copts also believe that Mark, due to his bold ministry, was tied to a horse and dragged to his death by a mob of pagans on Easter 68 AD in Alexandria. So that's what tradition says. So that's the true end of the story. How wonderful that he was restored, that he was exalted, and and God used him in a powerful, mighty way. Aren't you so thankful that we have a God of second chances? A couple weeks ago, I told you the story about two great English reformers, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. In 1555, they were burned at the stake under Queen Bloody Mary. Uh, Another great man was shortly executed after them, Thomas Cramner. He, too, was a leader of the English Reformation, and he was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, Tragically, after being in prison for three years, he caved to pressure that came upon him by the Catholic Church, and he signed a series of six recants about his Protestant beliefs. He later repented of his recantations. And the record records that as he was going to the stake to be burned for recanting of his recanting, the record says, showing his hand, he said, this was the hand that wrote it. And therefore, it shall suffer punishment first fire now being put to him he stretched out his right hand and thrust it into the flame and held it there for a good space before the fire came to any other part of his body where his hand was seen by every man obviously burning crying with a loud voice this this hand hath offended As soon as the fire got up, he was very soon dead, never stirring or crying all the while. The great Thomas Cranmer blew it. He recanted against the beliefs that he held to be sacred, but he was given a second chance. And now we know about him in in history because he came back by the, the grace of God. Have you stumbled? Have you blown it? Welcome to the club. I'm a card-carrying member of the Those Who Have Blown It Society. We all have. Every single one of us. 
The Bible and church history is riddled with men and women who have blown it at one time or another. But if this message describes you, this is my message to you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That's my message to you. Get up and walk. Get up and move forward. That's what God has in store for you. You know what Jesus is doing right now? At this very moment, he is interceding for you. Right now, for you. At the right hand of the Father. And he's turning to his Father and he's praying. If we can surmise by how he prayed for Peter, he is praying that your faith will not fail. Not ultimately. Maybe you will stumble and fall like Peter did. But he is praying for you that you will turn back. And that you will strengthen your brothers when you do so. That's what he's doing. He is praying for you. How encouraging is that? And let's also think of why Christ died for you. Why did Christ die on the cross for you? You ask the average Christian that, and they'll say, so that my sins could be forgiven, so that when I die, I can be assured that I will go to heaven. And my answer is, amen. I believe it. 100% true. That's not the only reason he died. Not just so you could be forgiven and go to heaven. when you. He also died so that you could have new life. He also died so that when you stumble and fall by the power of the Holy Spirit, you could get back up again and move forward. I love Proverbs. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. And Jesus died so that you could rise again. He, he has good work for you to do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is a great passage, one of the first passages I ever memorized as a Christian. For, for by grace we have been saved through faith, and this not of ourselves. It is the, the gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone can boast. Right? We read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and we're like, yes, we're saved by grace through faith. But we should read on, verse 10, for, for you are God's workmanship. And you need to put on your Greek glasses. You are God's workmanship. The, the Greek word is poema. We get the English word poem. You are God's poems. You are God's works of art. You are God's masterpieces. For what purpose? To what end? For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Jesus died so that you could do the good works for which you were saved. So as you're on the road to heaven, realize that along that road, God has a lot of good works for you to do. So again, this is my word to you this morning. If you've been going down that road and, and you fell in one side of the ditch or the other, my message to you this morning is by the grace of God, get up 
Understand that you are forgiven. Whatever your sin is, God's grace is, is greater. Maybe you have to ask people for forgiveness or make restitution, but whatever you have to do, get up, dust yourself off, and tell God that you're sorry for what, whatever it was you do. And maybe today's a day to say, I'm recommitting myself to you. Here I am. I offer myself to you. Use me as you seek fit for the advancement of your kingdom and your glory. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious truth it is to know that you are gracious and merciful and forgiving God. We say it every week during our time of confession, but I pray that those truths will penetrate into our our hearts and stir us and empower us to accept your forgiveness. You have promised that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So may we believe that promise and act on that promise and get up and, and go forward. And I pray for each one of us. I pray for each individual in this congregation. Father, I pray that you use them in a great and mighty way, whatever that may be. They might not have their names written in church history, but their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And if that's the case, you have work for them to do. And I pray that they will faithfully utilize the gifts and abilities that you have given them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.